and welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, a podcast brought to you by Alliance Insurance with me, Steph McGovern. Now, over the course of 2023, we've looked at what's been happening in the world to find out how it might impact the insurance industry. And there are plenty of episodes to listen to. We cover everything from underinsurance, sustainability, the skills shortage and everything in between. So if you want to listen back, you can get them all online. So we started the series this year by looking at business resilience. I don't need to tell you it's not been an easy time for business owners over the last few years with Brexit, the pandemic, together with the more recent cost of living crisis, inflation and energy prices. It's all left SMEs particularly apprehensive about the implications A recent global data survey revealed that 78% of SMEs in the UK were concerned to some extent about the ongoing cost of living crisis. And I'm not surprised. Tina McKenzie from the Federation of Small Businesses explained what it meant for her members. Well, it seems to be a real mixed bag out there because we've heard a lot um, of really difficult stories from our members where people are really struggling, especially post-COVID, where they took out a lot of debt to get through the COVID period um, and now they're having to pay that back. Cash reserves are really low for small businesses um, and the statistics uh, that we've just had out recently show that small businesses, they don't, a lot of them don't even have three months cash reserves. So if something hits the business, they don't have a lot, you know, they may be resilient themselves, but there's not a lot of cash out there in the small business community. Now, larger businesses usually have bigger reserves and they do have usually have more. And so therefore they can, uh, in this period, be more resilient. But layer on top of that, all of the uncertainty stuff, you know, around mm-hmm. energy prices, what's going on in the global economy, never mind our economy, what's going to happen around the, you know, the European uh, deal, the protocol, what's happening with the American uh, state trade deals, how does that all impact exports, imports? So there's so much going on and small businesses, they're focused on running their businesses. They don't have big HR teams, big intelligence teams, you know. Uh, So it's very difficult for them to keep on top of all that's going on in the markets, their own sectors, and then trying to to manage your business with all of these, you know, the taxes that they're having to pay, you know, not being fully aware sometimes of the reliefs that are out there. And then energy being a big problem. Labour is also a big problem. Mm. Um, But there are opportunities. It's not not all doom and gloom. So the recent um, statistics on GDP show that the UK economy was slightly up in November when we were expecting it to be slightly down. And so it's maybe sometimes in some areas there's opportunities in these times, but also it may not be as bad as what sometimes the media portray it to be, even though many, many businesses are really struggling and uh, and you know find it difficult. You know, it's not as bad as what it may mm. appear to be. Things did start to pick up a bit, but not for companies looking to hire staff. The skills shortage was a hot topic again this year, with the FSB reporting that seventy eight percent of small businesses have struggled to recruit people with the right skills. Emma Saunders, senior HR manager at Alliance gave us her thoughts on how we need to make sure we don't rule out recruiting the over 50s in business because they can add a lot to an organisation. We are always looking at 
where we can fish in sort of different talent pools. Um, so we look at it from the point of view of people who have been out of the workplace for a, a number of years. So that could be people who potentially have, have retired early, could be people who've taken breaks for caring responsibilities to have children. Um, so it's about us educating our managers. So in the insurance industry, well, from Allianz in, in particular that I'll sort of, you know, I'm closely aligned to is we think it starts with the education of the hiring manager and actually reframing that hiring somebody who potentially is in that older generation you know, return on investment from a hire, you want to have somebody in a post for two to three years, you're getting your return on investment back from that. If we're going out to people now who are in their sort of mid to late 50s, um, you know, we're all going to be working until we're 70. I know I am. Um, hiring somebody in mid 50s, they've got plenty more to give to our organisation. So, you know, even if they are with us for just two or three years, that's fabulous return on investment. So it's about just re, re-educating those hiring managers as to the value that these individuals can provide. I think what's also great, actually, in bringing people back who've got more life experience, where we think about this new generation entering the workplace who, you know, have, have done their exams, have been at university through the COVID years, they've lost that opportunity in terms of building some of these other more intangible skills, I guess, in terms of how the world of work works, you know, how, how you operate in an office, how you build relationships in the workplace. Um, and people who've got that life experience are great really to act as kind of mentors for that next generation coming into the world of work. Claire Kelleher, Professor of Work and Organisation at Cranfield School of Management, explains how to attract and retain talent, as well as advice on being a flexible employer. What's really important here is for employers to think about what ways they can attract those people back into the workforce. And some of that is about offering flexible working arrangements, about offering different ways to engage with work, whether that be part-time work or working remotely for a greater proportion of the time or flexibility over when people are actually working. And Franca, Chief Executive of the Chartered Management Institute, also made the case for recruiting older employees. Of course, I think it's a very important part of the solution. And I think it's very interesting that the government, the chancellor, is calling for people to come back out of retirement and into the workforce. But as Claire said, you actually have to um, have the same um, efforts made on behalf of employers. And we at CMI did some research that showed that only four in 10 managers were willing to strongly consider hiring older workers, those aged 50 to 65. So clearly there's a real education job to be done here for employers to do the things that Claire was saying, offer flexible work, offer, um, you know, well-being and good health care programs, um, offer inclusive cultures. It's not just about money. And it certainly just isn't about saying, you know, oi, off the golf course and back into the office, because that just doesn't work <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so use reverse mentoring. It's very powerful. And reverse mentoring is when you get a young person, maybe Gen Z, 
um, you match them with an older person that's maybe returning into the workplace. And it's a very symbiotic relationship because the young person can help that older person, for example, brush up on their digital skills. And the older person can help the younger person with a lifetime of experience and the wisdom of how to cope with, you know, uh, office politics and the other things that young people might not be as, as skilled at dealing with. Um, so we are strong advocates of that. The other thing is there are some companies that have deliberately targeted older workers quite successfully. So using campaigns um, to attract workers that, for example, feature older workers. <laughs> now there's a thought, right? Um, and, um, and, and you know, we've seen a number of companies, including uh, uh, McDonald's. Um, I know that uh, Bank of America has done this. Um, uh, and I would encourage companies to target these people um, and use the um, tools to attract them, including accepting they might need some retraining, whether it's on digital skills or whether it's um, on management and leadership skills. Um, you know, so there are there's an awful lot that employers can and should do. The cost of living crisis loomed large in 2023. Now, downturns normally mean an increase in insurance fraud but the industry is keen to make sure it isn't the honest customers picking up the bill. James Burge, head of counterfraud at Allianz, explained why and the context in which insurance fraud takes place. I think it has to be just the environment we're really in at the moment. If you think about the cost of living crisis is the big one at the moment. Obviously, we went through COVID, now we're in the cost of living crisis. And the way I sort of analyse this is a real change from historical fraud in insurance from a, a real greed to a need perspective. And I think historically people think, actually, I, I want a bit more money and I think I pay my premiums into insurers and wanted something back versus where we are now, where not just people, but businesses are actually in a real sticky time when they feel that the only way out is a need to commit insurance fraud. There's always going to be organised fraudsters out there and the way in which they work is very much uh, trying to find those sort of vulnerabilities in either brokers that we deal with, processes or insurers, you name it, they'll find it. So there will always be organised fraud. So that's certainly going to be on a rise. But opportunistic for me, I think, is where we're going to see a lot more rise in insurance fraud as we go forward. It hits all areas of insurance. I mean, coming from my perspective as a commercial insurer, we see obviously a big growth in the likes of the property and casualty area of insurance fraud. Your traditional, what you would call motor, crash for cash type insurance fraud has dwindled a little bit, but actually it's moved more into your gross exaggeration of motor now. I mean, you cast your mind back to in the middle of lockdown, for instance, when there were very few cars on the road, when these organised gangs were trying to stage accidents well that was the impossible way of doing so so uh, they need to look for new ways and so then gross exaggeration of claims and then moving into more of the property and casualty space when we talk about also fraud it's not always just in the claim space it's in the application and underwriting fraud space looking at the whole journey of a customer that comes to us looking at um, the people that are potentially both organised and, and opportunistic fraud, lying on their applications to get cheaper car insurance or cheaper business insurance, whatever it be. Ursula Jano, director of the Insurance Fraud Bureau, agrees that the cost of living crisis is causing much more insurance fraud. We did a recent YouGov survey, specifically asking questions about how people are feeling with the cost of living crisis and how it's impacting them. And we know that one in five 18 to 24 year olds said that they are having financial struggles, so they would be more likely to commit insurance fraud. 
we know that one in 10 of the average person, you know, no age group included, would be thinking about committing insurance fraud. And we know that one in two people across the UK are financially desperate. You can't ignore those facts and say that there won't be an increase in opportunistic fraud because they are your average person that wouldn't ordinarily commit fraud. And we are trying to do what we can. Obviously, it's to balance, you know, the insurance industry at the end of the day are providing those services to consumers. But also, you know, the insurance and broker market have got a a duty to consumers. So, you know, we've been working with the industry and the Insurance Fraud Bureau this year will be having a prevention campaign around opportunistic fraud and specifically talking to consumers about it might feel like a good thing to do in the moment, but actually the implications have been found. You know, it's not just the insurers, the police get involved, potentially facing convictions. And we know that opportunistic fraudsters that we've worked with in the past after the event, you know, the biggest impact to them was the social side. So yeah. the implications on their friendships and their family relationships, you know, when they've been realised, you know, the amount of those types of people that have then turned on again, if I'd known I was going to be put on the insurance fraud register and not be offered insurance again, if I'd known it was going to impact me personally with my friends and family, the actual implications of those people, it's not a place that people want to be in. In the middle of the year, we took the podcast on the road and went to the Bieber conference in Manchester to chat to the great and good of the industry. Colm Holmes, the chief executive of Alliance Holdings UK, explained the main issues that the insurance industry is facing. 2022 is a really tough year. You had inflation, three prime ministers, a couple of dozen chancellors. I don't know how many I lost count. The interest rates shooting up fairly quickly. Is it 12 in a row? At the same time, you had zero unemployment. No, they don't normally go together. It's normally the opposite. So, you know, it's been a really tough year for the industry. It's been a really tough year for the UK's reputation in Europe and working for the largest global insurer in the world, which is German. They kind of struggle, they scratch their head a little bit. Is it Brexit? Is it, you know, why is it so bad in the UK versus Europe? So it's been a really tough year. So for me, rising to the challenge is about, you can't change what's gone on before, but what we can do is move on from this. Certainly, there is great opportunity. There's great opportunity in Brexit. There's great opportunity in the UK. We know that. Mm-hmm. And we just got to get things balanced again, get them settled and get back to doing what the UK is really good at. It's, you know, this is a country that invents so many things in the world. It's, you know, discovered it was the great explorers of the world came from the UK. There's a massive opportunity that needs to be focused on, and we need to move on from the petty squabbles that is politics in the UK at the moment and move towards a focus on building a better society, first and foremost, and from that you'll get a better economy, I believe. So to me, rising to the challenge is about dealing with the problems we have right now and moving on from them and creating opportunity for people. Meanwhile, Graham Trudgill, the executive director of Bieber, said the cost and expense of new rules in the industry is the major issue. Regulation is, is definitely one. Because the cost of regulation has gone up about 20% in the last three years. We're now the most expensive in Europe. Our members are having to employ more staff, sort of take staff off the front line, servicing customers to make sure everything is right for the regulator. So the cost and the effort and the resource for regulation certainly is a big challenge. There's been a lot of new rules come out in the last year or so, which is good. We want a well-regulated, stable, respected industry. Our products are sold on trust. It's not like a tangible car that someone's buying. 
buying. It's the belief that if something happens, we will support them and help them in that claim. So getting that balance and regulation is a big one for us. And there's a bill going through Parliament, the Financial Services and Markets Bill, which we're very involved. And it's been interesting to hear from Treasury and some former chancellors today about we all want to have that growth and competitiveness objectives. That's a really important challenge for us. The second one, I would say, is probably the cost of living crisis because people can't necessarily afford the insurance that they perhaps need. So maybe a small business is cutting back on its business interruption indemnity period or it's some insured or a consumer is cutting out some accidental damage cover from the home insurance or whatever it might be. There's lots of research from Bieber and others in the industry where we're seeing people cutting back and when they cut back that brings under insurance risk and then if the worst does happen and they have a claim then that's going to be some really difficult conversations to have with them. The hard market we've spoken about, insurance is harder to come by. It's a continuing challenge, whether it be professional indemnity insurance or certain buildings insurances, you know, they're hard. But I think something that affects everybody right now is talent. We've got Young Broker Day here tomorrow at the Bieber Conference and we've got 222 people, which is really exciting. 50 from a local college coming in. And how can we get people into the industry trained up and enjoy the great industry that this is. One of my grandfathers was in the insurance industry, so I guess I had a little bit of interest there, but at the end of the day, it's a fabulous industry because you can come in on the, say you're on the sales side, but then you can go onto the claims side, which is fascinating, the underwriting side. Uh, you can move into management, you can become a director, go to the HR, comms, you know, a broker or an insurer, they have all sorts of departments and interesting areas where you could work. So I think we've got a great story to tell and it's all about risk, um, you know, which is an, an exciting subject in itself. So we've just got to do more to to sell ourselves, I think. Mervyn Skeet, the Director of General Insurance Policy at the ABI, feels that technology is now causing many problems. I think we're a really good opportunity right now for us as industry to come together and really find a solution to some of the cyber issues. So raise some of the awareness with small and medium-sized enterprises who don't really understand what they're being covered for or what they should be covered for or what their systems are doing or how their systems are working. There's a real opportunity for us to do that. There's an opportunity perhaps at the top end of the market to work with government around you know, systemic risk around cyber. So I think it's now's the time for us, for brokers, insurers, and every, all the associations as well to come together and find a solution for that and trying to, to have some discussions around that. And we at the ABI are trying to pull together an industry panel to start looking at that, to start thinking about how we take that forward. Artificial intelligence is another big talking point. AI can analyse data from various sources, such as customer information, accident reports and policy details. So there are many ways it can help the insurance industry by assessing the validity of claims, calculate payouts and even detect fraudulent activities. Dave Carey, Managing Director at Midmarket at Allianz, says that means the workforce will undergo a fundamental shift. We've got to face into the fact that there will be efficiencies gain from this if we do it in the right way but my view is you repurpose then what you need within your workforce to do potentially more fun job stuff that's got to be the outcome because the low value repetitive tasks that you can program and and get a machine to learn from and do actually you can do it much more efficiently which means you've got more competitive pricing for your products at the end of it so I, I suppose maybe a bad analogy, but we used to go into Sainsbury's and you'd pick up your shopping and you'd go to the counter and there'd be a checkout man or lady and you'd pay and maybe have a little chat and take your stuff away. Now we most of all do a click ourselves and then pay with a card and no one's involved in the process. But there's someone in the background when it goes wrong. Mm-hmm 
because it does and you don't get it through and something triggers because you're buying a bottle of wine or whatever and you need to check if you're 18 i don't have that problem that means an example of there are controls and as you go up and you get more comfortable you get more comfortable that you can automate it fully perhaps but there are other things and what i think it leads to steph i hope is that it gives us more time with the resource we've got to focus on understanding our customers needs better Mm. so we then hone the products that become more bespoke more unique for their actual risk needs as they change in terms of what they need and they're looking for. That's got to be a win for society maybe, but certainly for insurance companies to provide relevant products and solutions that customers are looking for. Ben Gower at Elixir Partner agrees with Dave and says there are two things you need to watch out for when it comes to using AI in your business. The first thing is you make sure that your company and your customers are not at greater risk because of these technology improvements. So scams, frauds, all those types of things. Um, and then the second point is, this is a learning journey. Dave said a lot that, you know, we're learning. The models are learning. The, the key thing that we help our clients with at Elixir is, how do we reduce the cost and the speed of that learning when it comes to applying AI to your business? And how do you do that in a safe environment that doesn't lead to a load of problems? Because if you control what goes into that model, and you choose what comes out of it and how much of that you share or don't share and what you use it for, and then you've trained the process in between yourself, then you can have a lot of confidence that it's doing what you want and giving your team a greater experience in terms of their their day-to-day jobs, giving your customers a better experience, loads of things. But you've got to go on that learning journey um, and get started soon. And finally, we looked at the insurance industry's role in delivering net zero and building sustainable business models. The transition to net zero, I'm sure it can feel like a mammoth task for firms just starting out on their green journey. But for many, it's becoming an essential part of their future. John Dudner, Alliance Head of Mid-Market Portfolio Steering, says it's something governments push, but businesses and the insurance industry can help change mindsets and processes too. Now, Alliance is already heavily involved, as John explained. This September, we've just released our transition plan um, out to 2030 and then beyond 2050, looking across the operational bits of the business, looking across the investment arm, looking across the insurance arm. I guess from today's perspective, we're probably most interested in the insurance side of it and how that's going to affect our broker partners that we work with and, and what they need to be thinking about. But it's certainly very early for us. And I think it's going to be a really interesting balance over the next couple of years of how we're used as carrot or stick as an insurer by regulators, government, new laws, regulations, policies that are coming in. And you know, we'd like to be on the carrot end, but I think there is a fear that we might be on the stick end and that we're going to be used or forced is a strong word, but you know, pushed to make these changes that may be a little bit too early for our customers and the customers might not quite be ready for that change. That's the balance at the moment that we're trying to toe. Anne Valero is a senior policy fellow at the LSE Centre for Economic Performance. She argues that the UK is at the forefront of the transition to net zero. The UK has traditionally been a leader on net zero commitments and policy and we were one of the first advanced economies to put this legal commitment to net zero by 2050 um, into law. 
So we have many policies in place to try and reduce emissions in different parts of the economy. We've done very well in terms of decarbonising our electricity supply. This next stage, however, involves much more action in areas that we haven't been doing so well. Really big challenges in decarbonisation of buildings and also surface transport. So while we have lots of policies and strategies in place... In fact, the Committee on Climate Change in their progress assessment report early in the year were quite concerned in terms of our ability to deliver against some of those ambitious targets. And really, this is a large scale transformation of the economy here and also internationally, which is required to become net zero, to decarbonise our activities And I would argue to still grow the economy, but in a sustainable way. And really fundamental to all of that is large scale investment and innovation. Joe Goddard, Director of Green and Good Consulting, explains some of the biggest hurdles are to do with the costs. I think some are leading in this area and have been for a long time. What we're seeing now, though, is more and more people getting involved in their transition plans towards net zero. Anna quite rightly said we've been a leader in this country in this field for a long time, having announced our targets. But what we're turning towards now, both in business and in governments, are these transition plans towards net zero, which by that we mean setting out very clearly how we're going to reach these 2050 targets, both in terms of what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and trying to work out how much cost is involved. And that's been driven by investors largely saying, we we need you to do this, but we need to have an idea of, of costs because it is a huge transformation project for everybody and it will need financing and we need an idea of what that's going to cost um, so that we can do it in a measured way to continue that journey to growth as well. And with that thought, we'll bring this episode looking back at 2023 to a close. We'll be back with you in 2024, where we'll have a short series looking forward to the Olympics. There are lots of things brokers and companies can learn from top athletes when it comes to preparation and resilience. So we'll be talking lots about that. Of course, we'll also keep you up to date with the key hot topics throughout the year. So please do subscribe to the series through your podcast app. That way, you'll be sure you'll never miss an episode. We'd also really appreciate it if you left us a review as well. Uh, Many thanks to all of those who've taken part in our many discussions. From me, Steph McGovern, and Alliance Insurance. Until next time, goodbye.